0: With the holidays approaching, many are disappointed that COVID 19 is preventing people from gathering together and celebrating things like Christmas or the New Year's. But what is making things worse is that many countries around the world despite whatever precautions have been put in place, are experiencing a serious resurgence in COVID-19 cases, marking what is known as uh, the second or third wave of the coronavirus pandemic, uh, depending on where you are in the world. Even with optimism over uh, vaccines coming into the market, people are still concerned that this could not be enough. So we are going to be talking about this over the next half hour. First, we're pleased to be joined by Professor Maya Goldenberg from the Department of Philosophy at the University of Guelph to uh, discuss how pandemic fatigue has impacted people around the world and maybe uh, what the hope for a vaccine means. Hello. Hi. Professor, thank you very much for joining us. So We've been almost... About a year into this pandemic, uh, depending on when you count, uh, especially what uh, came out of Wuhan, China, it does feel like there certainly is a sense of fatigue setting in. I think most people can relate to that. And this idea that the vaccines will prove to be a uh, silver bullet that will magically kind of get rid of this whole thing. How would you assess the current situation right now?
1: Well, there's two things going on. Um, one is that it's true that there are a lot of people that are very hopeful about this vaccine, but that doesn't speak about everyone. So some people are looking for these vaccines as a way to resume normal life mm-hmm. again, so much so that health experts are now trying to temper expectations, are reminding us that there won't be enough for vaccines for everyone right away, so we have to be patient, uh, we're going to need a second shot, a few weeks after, so that even if we get the vaccine, it'll take weeks before it takes full effect. Um, and we're going to need community-wide vaccination before we can start doing anything even close to normal. All the while, we don't even know if these vaccines will stop the virus from being spread from person to person. So the, the vaccine is not going to be the magic bullet. And at the same time, not everyone is lining up and excited for this vaccine. There are people who have grown so disaffected by poor government response to the pandemic so far at least where i live that's true i live in toronto and that's it is not a success story here mm. so when they look at the government who've been so ineffective in containing the virus and minimizing various harms to people harms of, of infection for sure but also economic insecurity and and other uh, secondary harms those people are going to be more resistant to trusting that same government in rolling out a successful vaccine program.
0: Right, and and hopefully we can address the uh, anti-vaccine sentiment that has been going on for for quite a number of years, but uh, certainly seems to be getting more attention uh, with uh, COVID nineteen. The um, the idea of pandemic fatigue and and this idea that some people feel uh, either sick and tired of being cooped up at home or uh, now look to any excuse like, let's say, uh, some treatment or vaccine to maybe be a little bit more reckless in terms of how uh, they conduct themselves with social distancing. You mentioned the case that um, Toronto right now where you're at is not really a, a successful example of pandemic control. However, it, this is all kind of grass is greener on the other side. I think people in the U.S. will look to Canada and say, wow, how are they doing things so great compared to us <laughs> over here? And maybe ca- Canadians will look to places like New Zealand and Taiwan and saying these countries know how to do it. Um, how, how, how bad do you think the situation is in places like the, the U.S. or maybe even Canada?
1: Um, Well, the situation in the U.S. is is absolutely terrible because, I mean, this is a very resource-rich country. They could put all the things in place that um, other countries did so well, Um, things that we know work like contact tracing, rapid testing, testing. Sick leave, those those kinds of measures are a good way to stop the virus from spreading. Uh, the U.S. did virtually nothing. It's as if they gave up and they got mired in all kinds of politics. So it, it couldn't be much worse than what you got in the U.S. So, yeah, Canada takes some satisfaction of saying at least we're better than that. Yeah. But the truth is all all the measures that uh, Canadian cities and provinces mm-hmm. Uh, put in place were were kind of mild. We didn't have anything like uh, robust testing and contact tracing. What we called a lockdown was barely a lockdown, um, and because of that, we've got spread in at-risk communities. Pretty much the communities that we knew were going to be um, more at risk um, have been hit hard by it. So, frontline workers are not mm. properly protected. Long-term care homes are a disaster. Um, all the things that need a little bit of planning and a little bit of care did not get the attention it needed.
0: Well, let's talk about then the concern here is that if we need to get at least 60% of the population immunized for any sense of herd immunity, and that would entail then a a vast majority of the population getting vaccines, depending on the efficacy rate of these vaccines. If you have this strong anti-vaccine sentiment, and that sentiment being on the rise, um, you're the perfect person to talk about this. I I know that you're set to release a book out next year entitled Vaccine Hesitancy, Public Trust Expertise and the War on Science, and uh, you know there have been prominent figures like, let's say, Jenny McCarthy or other celebrities Celebrities who have been voicing these anti-vaccine sentiments in the past. how do you think that anti-vaccine sentiment would hinder the, uh, the pandemic control approach for these various countries, including Canada?
1: Um, it's going to be a, it, it can be a huge problem because um, those countries that haven't put the good uh, public health measures in place um, and now have uh, viruses that they can't control, now they're investing in vaccines. Like this is the last hope, mm-hmm. pretty much, for uh, at least resource-rich countries like Canada or the U.S. Right. that can afford to buy these vaccines. This is it. This is pretty much the only measure robust measure that we're, be, we're putting in place so if there's all kinds of public resistance to it then then uh, we've got a big problem we know from past epidemics like h1n1 that people will get vaccinated or at least are more likely to get vaccinated if they trust the government's management of the crisis mm. so there was a direct correlation of in during h1n1 of people who trusted the government that they were handling the the uh, the outbreak well, we're more likely to get vaccinated. The people that thought they were doing terribly are not going to trust the government. That same government that can't even put public health measures in place um, are seen as not trustworthy in terms of getting a safe and equitable vaccine rollout in, in place. So you're going to find that the places where that are hardest hit with coronavirus, you might be expecting people to line up. For the virus, for the vaccine, because it's their, really their last hope to protect themselves because their government have failed them. That's actually going to be for some reason a reason, for some people, a reason not to get vaccinated because why should I trust the government if they can't put even simple public health measures in place? Why would I trust them with something as complex as a safe and effective vaccine rollout?
0: Yeah, there does seem to be a Venn diagram intersection between those who are anti-vaxxers, so to speak, and also who deny the existence or even the dangers of COVID-19 right now. Final um, question then, Professor, Uh, what advice would you give to people around the world? And we're all in our own unique situations, in our unique societies that are suffering from this kind of long, drawn-out mental effect of COVID-19.
1: Um. The advice I give is to try to bring the people that are that you care about closer to you. Because right now is a very lonely and divisive time. I can see how the conversations, even about something like will you get vaccinated, are uh, are becoming politically divisive. Yeah. Like uh, right now as the holiday season arrives and people are going to be communicating with family, maybe socially distanced, but communicating nonetheless. People are already dreading having conversations about will you get vaccinated or not because they think it's going to be a huge fight. Um, We need to treat each other with care and with empathy and if you are talking to someone who you think is vaccine hesitant and let's say you'd like to bring them over, uh, don't try to argue with them and and, uh, ply them with facts, but find out why they're hesitant and see if you can address those those fears and concern in in a charitable and kind way
0: great advice uh, professor goldenberg thank you very much for your time appreciate it
1: thank you very much
0: well let's continue our discussion uh, joining us from the department of medicine at mcgill university uh, we have dr matthew otten on the line hello Good morning. Good morning to you, Professor. Thank you for joining us. We just uh, finished speaking with Professor Goldenberg and talking about the situation in Canada. Uh, There is certainly a a, a big resurgence of COVID-19 cases there. Uh, You have mentioned in an interview that the current level of social distancing measures is not enough, and that new restrictions will need to be placed. There certainly is an inherent resistance now and fatigue to doing this uh, among populations around the world, including here in Korea. But in your view, in your opinion, what measures do you think need to be taken?
2: So when I look at the measures that have been uh, uh, underway in various provinces in Canada, what strikes me, with the exception of our Atlantic provinces, is that in the rest of Canada, we have enacted partial measures compared to the more thorough uh, measures, more thorough lockdown that we had uh, enacted in the springtime. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way towards explaining why we're seeing less of an effect. We're seeing these uh, numbers of new cases, numbers of hospitalizations, numbers of people needing ICU uh, care that have been gradually increasing over the last several weeks. And it's uh, quite clear that at least Partly, the reason for that is that uh, the, uh, uh, those, uh, uh, those provinces have put in these partial measures where it hasn't been quite enough to reduce the numbers of close face-to-face contacts that are at the essence of how this disease transmits.
0: Now... There is this hesitancy for a couple of reasons. First, there's the local population with fatigue and, and not wanting to go through and being cooped up at home and being told not to, you know, uh go out without a mask on and all of that. But there are also concerns by policymakers about this the economic fallout from all of this. Uh, most of these uh, in, um OECD nations already suffering economically and this kind of delicate balance between maintaining some semblance of economic activity while at the same time trying to keep the population safe from a pandemic, uh, I know that the school of thought is that you, you, you take the bitter medicine now with the economic hit, but you can save the population in the long term or you kind of just go through this vicious circle of the cases resurging and then having to uh, shut things down again. And that would in the long term be more detrimental to the economy. I, I would imagine you're, st- you're you're on the side of let, let's get rid of this or at least let's get a handle on the pandemic and shut things down now. And then hopefully as the population and the health uh, situation improves, uh, that would be better. Better for the long term economy is is that would that be your position?
2: Uh, that certainly would be my position. Keep in mind, I mean, I'm a specialist in infectious diseases and microbiology. I'm not an economist, right, and right. I certainly understand that there's a lot of consequences that come as a result of shutting down businesses, shutting down schools, and yet. What it appears to me, uh, both in some areas of Canada, I've alluded to our Eastern and our Atlantic provinces, where they have, since the summer, had what they call the Atlantic bubble, where they have uh, tightly controlled uh, people coming into the Atlantic regions from other provinces, from other countries. And they are the one region of Canada where they have greatly succeeded in keeping the amount of uh, community transmission to very, very low levels. And as a result, their economy has also seems to have done very well well compared to uh, the effects that have been seen in other uh, provinces. And I see the same pattern emerging in other countries where it really looks like first you get the virus well under control and then the benefits come. This is not an ideal situation, but I think overall this is the path of least harm.
0: Yeah. And just to kind of explain the situation here in Korea. Uh, we rec- recently surpassed uh, 1,000 new infections uh, for the first time uh, in a single day. Uh, that has freaked out people. Uh, it's a population. It's a country with a population of over uh, 50 million. So relatively speaking, you might not think that's bad. But uh, in terms of uh, the, the path Korea has taken, we're certainly under uh, a resurgence of cases. And so uh, he, before this, uh, the testing protocol was relatively robust. If you are uh, infected, you, there is a mask contract testing program taken out. Everybody gets an anonymous test. You can even pay for a test uh, about 20 bucks. um, That would be the equivalent cost for one. Now Mm -hmm. what they're indicating is that they're going to try to test everybody because the uh, percentage of non-traceable infections has risen to about 22%. So they are basically opening up uh, testing to anybody who wants it for free and anonymous. And um, some people feel, I guess some experts feel that that is the way to go short of any effective treatment or vaccine. I believe in Canada, there is also a debate about whether there is adequate testing or not. Could you assess how how you think testing should be going in, in an ideal situation?
2: I think both of our countries can learn from the example of another country uh, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, using testing in an intelligent fashion, Mm -hmm. and that is the country of Slovakia. Mm. So what they did a few weeks ago was they enacted this uh, so-called circuit breaker lockdown for two weeks, but during that time they used rapid antigen testing. So a kind of test that is not as sensitive as the more commonly performed PCR test, but it's Fast, it's easy to do, doesn't require a lot of complicated equipment, and uh, uh, as a result, you get the results uh, quite quickly. And they were able to test about two-thirds of their population over two successive weekends, and that really helped them identify, uh, like you were alluding to, these uh, cases in the community uh, who are asymptomatic and who don't know that they have the infection and therefore are potentially infectious to others. And as a result, they were able to greatly reduce their their numbers of uh, new cases and in fact we're one of the few European countries to be able to bring the uh, case numbers per day down rather than see them continually go up. So I think that's one okay. approach that certainly has some uh, the science as well as some uh, now some evidence uh, to uh, to support it uh, going back to the idea of sort of accessibility of testing I think that is hugely important I think that uh, testing especially with a disease uh, like this that can be uh, uh, transmissible during a point where someone has no infections or has not yet uh, sorry no, no symptoms or uh, has not yet gone on to develop symptoms I think that is certainly very important I would hope that there's some effort made Right to uh, supply testing for people who don't have the ability to go to a testing center for one reason or another, right, the Mm. people who have Mm. limited mobility. And so you want to be able to include uh, those people uh, as well. But I think overall that kind of approach that uh, uh, that Korea is uh, uh, following right now is certainly uh, useful, especially when it comes to getting community uh, transmission under control. And uh, last thing i would point out that uh, the 22%, I think you'd said, of uh uh cases where there's no established epidemiologic link you know that certainly is a concern because uh quite bluntly The more information you have as to where the cases in the community are, where they came from, and who they could have transmitted to, the more information you have, the more control you have, the better you are able to intervene and stop those transmission cycles. In many parts of Canada, including my province of Quebec, uh, we went past that kind of level many, many weeks ago, and in many public health uh, authorities, they're now citing that in something like two-thirds of uh, cases, they can't find an wow. epidemiologic link, which really doesn't bode well for your ability to interrupt uh, transmission if you don't know where the disease is.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess the advice being nip it in the bud if and when uh, possible. Right. Uh, talking about the frontline healthcare workers, and I know that they are going to be the first in lines to receive uh, vaccinations. Could you just give us uh, the plight they're going through? I know there's been media attention paid to them, but oftentimes it does seem like it is overlooked, uh, just just a very difficult difficult situation that they found themselves in uh for almost a year now right
2: it's been a long time i mean in uh, in canada really uh the 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 virus arrived here uh, let's say around the beginning of march so now we're about halfway through uh, december so we're about nine and a half months uh preparations were certainly underway for um, a few months before that so it's been a certainly a long uh, time there's a lot of healthcare workers who are certainly very tired many of whom have had to work uh, consistently Long shifts had uh, their uh, uh, time off, their vacations uh, canceled, and there certainly appears to be a high rate of uh, uh, people who are uh, leaving either for uh, temporary periods because of burnout or stress or in some cases leaving the profession altogether and of course one of the dangers that poses in the long term is that uh, health care workers uh, can't be quickly and easily replaced it takes many years to train a nurse or many years to, t- uh, to train a doctor and if you lose uh, that resource then that's really going to greatly affect the system uh, for over a long period and trying to uh, uh, you, you can't quickly Augment the the supply, so it's certainly something that I think is of concern for uh, both federal and provincial governments across uh, the
0: country. Yeah, I, I believe you've mentioned that uh, you can have excess ICU beds, you can have excess ventilators, but if you don't have people uh, qualified people to, to be able to to operate these uh, things, then uh, it, it is all uh, moot. It certainly is a, a very serious situation. I wish we had time to get into the. Um, the wider uh, effects and forecasts of uh, mass vaccination programs and and the uh, efficacy of which and hopefully the uh, some semblance of a return to normal life, although maybe social distancing may still be a reality for us. But um, uh, hopefully when you have time again, uh, Professor, we can uh, revisit some of these issues. But we do thank you so much for joining us and giving us your perspective. And I certainly learned a lot. Uh, Appreciate it, sir.
2: My pleasure. Thank you once again for having uh, having me back on. I appreciate it.
0: That was Dr. Matthew Otten, professor at the Department of Medicine at McGill University. We're moving on to part four of the program. We've got to NK Now and Economy Tutor all lined up ahead in our final segment of the day. So uh, stay tuned for all of that. But taking us there is our final check of traffic and weather.